0: Welcome to a very special Form Guide recording taken from the Race in the Workplace event hosted by Rising Vibe where we chat to Adrian Everett who is with LinkedIn and also an advisory board member of form for all Enjoy. So this is now the fireside chat session with Rob Stevenson who uh is a I'm going to read this a little bit Rob so I get it right okay so we've worked with Rob before in the mental health space so he's very well known in that area brilliant at what he does Um, and Rob is the CEO of Formscore I'm going to read this so I get it right a technology startup helping people to monitor their mental health using a score out of 10 with a mobile app to help friends family and colleagues support each other Um, and we love that because it is very different to the scale but that that same kind of intuitive scaling so it feels safer to share stuff and Rob is going to be fireside chatting with Adrienne today and I'm going to let Rob introduce Adrienne and what they're going to be talking about today a fantastic subject really interesting So we hadn't considered and Rob said I think this would be great as part of your event so over to you guys thank you very much for joining us really appreciate it Fantastic, Lou, thank you for that introduction and thanks for everyone for uh, tuning in. So um, Adrian Agar, you're going to talk um, specifically about the inequity of well-being provision um, in workplaces and and wider society. Um, By way of introduction, um, I am a mental health campaigner, uh, passionate about inspiring the creation of mentally healthy workplace cultures. Those are cultures where everyone can put their hand up and say, I'm struggling with mental ill health. But there are also cultures where people feel that they can prioritise their well-being and are equipped and have permission um, and have the literacy to do so. Um, so I'm delighted to be chatting uh, to a good friend of mine um, who is also very passionate about the well-being agenda, Adrian Everett. Adrian, if you'd just like to introduce yourself and why this, this subject is so important to you.
1: Yeah, so um, I'm Adrienne Everett. I full-time am um, an account director at LinkedIn covering our marketing solutions products um, for financial services organizations. Um, I'm also very much an advocate on strategy and efforts aligned with diversity and inclusion. And um, mental health is something that's extremely important to me um, as you know, Rob said, the level of comfort with being able to kind of align, um, kind of smashing the stigmas aligned with it has been very challenging for me, um, particularly as a Black female um, in business, um, but also just culturally growing up, you know, with this weight of always needing to be really strong. So um, Rob has become a very fast friend of mine, um, just with our Shared passion for mental health um, and also our shared desire to ensure the accessibility of it. Um, So very glad to be here kind of to share some of my experiences, some of the things that we're working on together um, and to kind of give you a taste of my thoughts around the space and how we can make these workplaces more equitable.
0: Fantastic. Thank you, Adrian. And I must apologise for how I sound, and I'm not referring to the slightly brummy accent, I always have that, but I've got a bit of a cold, a bit of man flu, so I'm a bit croaky. but form scores about um, just giving ourselves this score out of 10, as Lou mentioned. So I'm a seven out of 10 today, pretty good form, slept really well, got the cold, um, haven't managed to get out into nature and exercise and do that today, but feeling pretty good. So, um, Adrian, I'm going to ask you what's your score today, but also invite everyone on the chat just to share how you're feeling out of 10 um, about your well being. Um, but what's your score, Adrian?
1: Yeah, I would say I'm definitely above average, maybe a 6.5. Um, I did sleep really well. I got nine hours. Um, I got up in kind of a bit of a rush because I had a really busy day ahead. I think I've kind of shifted between a seven and 6.5 throughout the day, just based on how insanely busy it's been. And obviously like these things are super fun and exciting and we're so passionate about it, but you get a little nervous. So yeah, I'd say I'm pretty much a 6.5, all things considered. And I love this exercise that um, I've done so many times with Rob and also just the, Thought that goes into it's not just, you know, okay, maybe a seven, eight. It's like you actually have to really think about like how you're feeling today versus yesterday versus a few days ago. So it really makes mental health like super special and calculated and thoughtful. So thank you for introducing
0: me to Ah, uh, Pleasure, and look, I call this the gift of a little bit of self-reflection and I can see some good scores there. Um, lots of sixes and sevens, There's a, Sheila's a nine. What did you have for breakfast, Sheila? Um, <laughs> and, and, and Sally-Ann, if you want to reach out to me on the chat afterwards with your details, I can see you're a three out of 10. We might just inspire you to just to look at that a little bit and maybe get some help. Um, and that's part of what I do too. So I'm gonna set the scene a little bit. Um, Only one in three black adults in the US who need mental health care will receive it, compared to the US average of 43%, Mm. often because of lack of representation in the tools and the providers available. Market leading wellbeing solutions are typically, if you look at the demographic being used by white middle-class women. Um, And um, whole elements of our society are being underserved or left behind when it comes to the uptake of proactive well-being resources, whether that's CALM or Headspace or or other tools that are out there. Um, So there's a case for arguing that the well-being industry is systemically racist, and we're going to explore that. You know, I'm, I'm talking from a position of privilege of being a white middle-aged man. I tick all of those three boxes, but also from somebody who has a disability. I have bipolar disorder, which is a mental illness, um, and it's a hidden disability. And this whole mission is personal to me. But I want to explore a little bit of this with you, Adrienne. And so, you know, it is clear that there's inequity in the uptake of well-being solutions. Why, why do you think this is the case?
1: Yeah, I think there's several factors that come into play um, when you think about the uptick of well-being solutions in general, but also if we're very specific to people from diverse ethnic backgrounds. Um, I think one is accessibility. So these resources that exist, like we either don't know about them, don't have actual access to them, aren't in the conversations around why they're important, um, or aligned with organizations that promote them. So we missed out on that opportunity. Um, I think another um, big factor and something that I've kind of just been able to personally tackle is the stigma that's attached to mental health within our community. Um, I think, as I mentioned earlier, we're always taught to be very strong, those negative emotions that might come up, they're either um, rejected um, or, you know, kind of not meant to be displayed publicly, which is, I think, a whole nother level of mental health challenges that can occur on back of that. Um, I think we are being more open to having these conversations and understanding that, you know, everyone has mental health. It's not a bad thing. Um, It's literally kind of similar to form score, understanding where you are with your mental health in a particular moment, so that level of awareness and thoughtfulness around the mental health space and your personal mental health is so important. Um, I do think that when we think about well-being solutions to your to the statistics, but it's hard to find things that feel relevant to our community or ways to bring our community into the conversations or into these solutions when we don't see people creating this content, creating the resources that look like us. Um, When people who are creating these solutions uh, don't have a lens towards how a woman of color might be feeling or the challenges that people from different diverse ethnic backgrounds might actually um, be faced with in the workplace. And I think the accessibility stigma relevance, all of these kinds of things are wrapped up into the fact that we don't always feel like we belong or comfortable enough to raise our hand and talk about the things that we need within the workplace. Because a lot of times when we are, it's, there's nothing that happens or, you know, there's the potential for retaliation, unfortunately. And I know most organizations are like, no, we have this policy, but there is still that level of fear around that. And I think, um, to be, I think sometimes HR teams really look at solutions as a tick box exercise instead of really evaluating, will this resonate with the full community that, you know, the workforce within an organization.
0: That point's really interesting. So there's a lot of stuff you raised there, but I think summarising accessibility of solutions, the stigma, and actually solutions that are that are relevant. Um, I do comment on the chat. I'm keen to hear your view um, from from the audience as to do you feel there is an inequ- inequality, an inequity in well-being provision, um, and and what are your perspectives on that? And also do drop any questions into the Q and A, and we'll try and get to them. I think stigma is really interesting, as as you know, Adrian. One of the things I do is the inside out leaderboard where I showcase workplace leaders who are open about challenges of mental ill health. And one of our, our role models is of Nepalese descent, abhijay Jain, who's a partner at PwC. And he talks about in the Nepalese language, there's no word for mental illness. There's a mm-hmm. word for crazy, but not mental illness. And so I think there's cultural stigmas that go across race, isn't there? And, and do, do you find that? Have you found that growing up? You mentioned that, that need to sort of be seen to be strong.
1: Yeah. And I'll make this really personal. Um, there is a word for mental illness and a state that I felt, which is depression, but in my family, that does not ring true or valid or acceptable. Um, And I think that we are taught to be strong. We're taught to kind of downplay the, like mental illness is negative. It's um, you're not, you know, it kind of is a flaw in your character and it's not, or in my household, this is not to be um, taken as a stereotype, but it hasn't been um, taken as something that can be real or serious. Um, I remember going through a really bad relationship. Um, a breakup and feeling really depressed and having trouble identifying it as depression because knowing that it wouldn't be accepted in my community. Um, And once I got to the point where I was like, this can only be depression, I felt empowered to articulate that, to kind of showcase what I was feeling and the pain to only be told that like, oh yeah, you're you're not depressed. Just like go to church, (laughs) which (laughs) is funny, but also like was very, a a very serious response to my, um, mental health. And so I think, you know, there sometimes, and and I think there is starting to be a shift and, you know, as there's more, um, education and resource available, like we can shift the perspectives of generations as well. And I think that's like the opportunity, um, in this space and that's, you know, the focus that organizations and the world to be fair, um, has created through our alignment with mental health. But I do think with that said, it's important to know that there isn't a one size fits all, you know, Rob might be able to come in and provide form for employees and organizations, but maybe there's an extra layer that, you know, he might need to bring me alongside for, you know, an employee networking group to be able to talk about my story with and my experience with the mental health to increase engagement. Or, you know, he just might need to be present and be open talking about being bipolar so that other people who might be experiencing it but can't identify it or don't want to go through the steps to know and recognize and maybe get, you know, any resources they can will then be inspired to do so. So I think really thinking about engagement the differences in cultures and how stigmas are aligned and how people, you know, think about mental health and the existence or, you know, in some cultures, the existence, is super important to think about when you're thinking about which well-being solutions to use and how to activate them.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Um, and, and Jay Riot on the chat, um, you know, also uh, resonates uh, with him or her. Sorry, around um, how to, f- the, you know, how to articulate the struggles from an own family. Um, and, and Manish Tail, thank you for the uh, correction. There is words for mental health and mental illness in in South Asian languages, but they're not commonly used or even known. Mm. So the same problem, but perhaps even more so. Um, so thank you for that. Those they're, they're great comments. Um, Looking at the workplace, and obviously you're passionate about wellbeing in the workplace with the kind of yoga and and a lot of the sessions that you do, Um, but specifically about the intersection between, you know, ethnicity, race, and and again, that feeling comfortable or empowered to prioritise wellbeing in a workplace setting. What are your perspectives there, Adrian? And why do you see that, again, that inequality might exist within a workplace setting?
1: Yeah, I think it kind of goes back to what we were kind of discussing a little bit earlier. And that is just that there's a bit of an education gap at times. So, you know, you can award everyone calm, but who is taking up that and who needs that as a resource? There might just be something as simple as let's do a check-in, let's leverage form score to just check in to see how you're feeling and just get people in the state of constantly finding a space of awareness around how they're feeling. And the next step might be, okay, let's take up meditation or yoga. So I feel like it's one of those things where meeting people where they are is super, super important. And there isn't a one it's all one size fits all approach to it because everyone is quite different and, you know a black woman like myself who has been very exposed to opportunities to invest in my mental health and has explored everything from, obviously I'm a yoga instructor to meditation, to sound, you know, to sound bath, to breath work, all these things that like might be accessible and kind of work for me and pouring into my mental health might not be accessible to the next woman of color or even to you, Rob, or something Mm -hmm. that you would explore. So I think, Ethnicity plays a key role in it, of course. Um, Culture, all these things. But also, it's um, just how people's personal experiences are with their mental health and kind of their journey. So I think, you know, being really mindful of the fact that everyone is different. We can't even categorize Black women as, you know, having a relationship with their mental health in this way or women you know, having a, or men or middle-aged men, or, you know, so I think it's just really understanding that we are all unique. How do we unite in our uniqueness to transform how we think about mental health?
0: Wow, what a great soundbite. I I mean, I need to uh, um, rewind that and write that down. How do we unite in our uniqueness to transform mental health? And I think you've really hit a key point here is that the well-being and mental health is highly individual. It's highly personal. Um, and I think, you know, I've got to know how to manage my well-being pretty well because of my disorder. And I've had to do that by trial and error to, to survive. Um, you know, you've mentioned some great solutions there from sound baths to breath work. You know, I've tried a lot of those stuff. I love, I love a sound bath. I don't like a flotation tank, Um, mm-hmm. you know, you, you, but it, a lot of it is is sort of personal trial and error, isn't it? But I think it's, it's in the workplace, isn't it about trying to create cultures where that is acceptable um, uh, across the workplace, but also in certain groups?
1: Yeah, I would say 100%, hundred and I think that's why it's important to have resources that people can kind of test and learn. And I think that a lot of organizations are looking for the one Thing that everyone's going to engage with and there's going to be so much take up and it's just like, this is the golden ticket. But I think a little bit of it too is engagement grows over time with authentic efforts around, you know, breaking the stigma and making sure everyone feels aligned and doing the, doing the work. Like you can't just have a solution and not then survey to see how people are feeling about it, what they want, what they need. You know, have you been transformed by every week? In your inbox, getting something that showcases the mental health resources available to you. Um, That email that came through from the private insurance provider that you now can, you know, take up these wellness benefits where you are able to get therapy sessions and chart, like, how are people engaging? Like, how are you collecting data, understanding the data, analyzing it and reporting back? And I think that's also something super unique. Sorry, I'm not, you know, plugging for form score, but I think the reporting (laughs) element is so, so important to making sure that the resources are serving everyone or, you know, whether you need to level up on certain things or level down on others. So I think, you know, it is very important to be strategic and have metrics aligned with the efforts.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. I think reporting and reporting on the well-being of different groups in the workplace is super important anonymously, but I think we need more metrics on that. Mm -hmm. I think allyship is important here. Um, What do you see as the role of allies, specifically in terms of the well-being agenda and, and making a difference to this inequity we've been talking about?
1: Yeah, I think it's education, for one. I think, you know, especially if you come from a position of, Privilege and understanding the resources. I think how are you ensuring that your colleagues from different backgrounds either have exposure, or are aware, or you can share the stories of, you know, um, your experience with mental health. I think empathy, um, being empathetic, and kind of thinking about your position as an ally um, through what you say to people, um, through the concern you give around certain social situations that might be occurring in the world. Um, and through how you share. So I think, you know, we, (laughs) and I'll speak for all people of, you know, uh, ethnic diverse backgrounds, we appreciate allyship and empathy, especially when it comes from an educated space and a clear effort of trying to be a strong ally. I think, you know, this term ally has been thrown around a lot. um, And it's not, it's a privilege to be an ally. It's not just something that you get because you represent the majority. Yeah. It's a, it's something you get when you represent the majority and you act on that representation in a way that makes us belong, feel comfortable, and want to be a part of the journey within the workplace with you. And I think allyship along with resources are so important um, to us having strong mental health. Yeah, and
0: absolutely. Thank you for that hand clap. Yeah. <laughs> great, great hand clap, um, and and good to hear. Um, the, the, the comments there, sort of melon learning, you know, needing more focus on different groups. I agree with that. Um, and Bep, totally agree with that. Empower employees to make the right choices, educate on benefits, but then give them choice. And yeah. personalization of choice, super important for sure. So I'm going to get you on time uh, for the for the main keynote I've probably got a couple of quick, more, qu- more quick questions for you, Adrian. Um, you've kindly agreed to serve on the advisory board of Form for All. Um, and Form for All, we're trying to, uh, address this issue of inequity and well-being uptake in, in all different sorts of groups who are being underserved from disability to socioeconomic status um, to gender, uh, including race and ethnicity. What, why have you agreed to do that? And, and what do you hope that, that we can achieve?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, it's great that we're looking at um making sure that we have bespoke solutions available to people from different ethnic backgrounds. Um, But I think what I'm most excited about from um, a form for all perspective is everyone's not in the workforce. So people who are struggling with mental health are sometimes not employed, self-employed, freelancers, um, caregivers. um, And those people also tend to be, um, I think there is a probably heavier ethnic alignment with these communities that aren't in our workplaces that have resources to um, invest in mental health. Um, And because of that, I think I'm really passionate about what we could be doing um, with Form for All and also how that might impact someone being able to enter the workplace. Because I think, you know, mental health resources for the even ethnically privileged, shall I, um, is great, but we should think about it as a global issue inside and outside of the workplace. And some people who were inside of the workplace might actually connect with these resources via their community versus their employer.
0: Yeah i agree with that and i think can we use the workplace to make good in in broader society so 10 seconds i reckon we've got um one golden nugget one um bit of wisdom to prioritize well-being what's yours adrian
1: breathing and i think that all ties back into yoga um and i think just starting somewhere like i can't obviously say that i've always been super in tune with my mental health but I'm, it's a work in progress. It's a practice. Um, and I've found tips and tricks that help me kind of navigate different parts of my life and different phases of my life that can sometimes be helpful and other times not. So I think just being open minded, seeing it as a practice that evolves um, and really taking the first step
0: fantastic um take that step open-minded give it a go trial and error and breathe everyone take a breath so look we could chat for ages we're going to get you back to the main stage now so please do use the link for the closing keynote thank you so much for tuning in and for all the comments on the chat and adrian thank you for your time and perspectives
1: thank you so much and find us on linkedin um not just because i work there but would love to hear from you guys
0: definitely (laughs) connect with us thank you so much